Tell me what it's like to make a human child. <laughs> Johnny and Carla in your apartment in New York, somewhere in a beautiful apartment on a beautiful couch in your beautiful home. And you just recently made a human being with your bodies together. <laughs> Yay. Who is that little boogies? Sleeping. Boogies are sleeping, so we'll keep our voice down. We should wake her for the podcast. <laughs> Not if you want to hear us speak. Yeah. Today's a restless day. She's grown pains, you said? Yes. Yeah. Is it, it's a phase of her development where her, is it her brain is growing? Well, the brain is always changing. And so their relationship to their perception of reality is shifting. And they say that in the first um, uh, six months, some of the transitions in terms of the way that she relates to reality is so profound that it becomes really disorientating and can cause them to go into distress. Because, you know, up until like, you know, two and a half months, I think it is, they don't associate the hand being connected to the arm that's connected to the body. <laughs> and at some point they realize that their hand is connected to their arm. It's connected to their body and they're like, oh my God. And so for the last sort of three weeks, she's just been lying there going, <gasps> looking at her hand. <laughs> so she's on acid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, in terms of the way that they relate to sound, uh, their de- their um Sight depth perception, everything's shifting right now. And today, well, the last kind of three or four days, she's been um, a little unsettled. Mm. She's been a little unsettled. Mm. And that's according to this really amazing book. What's it called? The Wonder Weeks. The Wonder Weeks. The Wonder Weeks, which is written by MDs who have um, gone through and looked at each develop, like they've studied babies in their developmental stages. And it articulates exactly what happens so like when she starts going through like crying fits where we're like oh god no this is now our baby as in like this is what it's going to be like and then you flick to the book to see how many weeks we're at and it will correlate with this is a developmental stage like big leap in their growth Mm. and this is what you'll expect you know loss of appetite more irritable um uh, well, I mean, at the phase that she's in now, she's discovering um, high-pitched tones in her voice and um, the the whole squealing thing when she's expressing joy. And so it's constant now. When we first started he- hearing it, it was like music to our ears, like, oh, wow, she's communicating. And now it's it's like all the time. <laughs> and we still love it, but, you know, it's become established. Mm. And we read it in the book before it actually started happening they're like around this time she's going to start doing that mm-hmm. and i have to admit you know when i heard about the book i'm like yeah i don't know whether they really can identify these cycles and patterns and development and whatever but it's pretty extraordinary how accurate it's been wow. so far we're three months in and they've called some very significant moments on time and with all the different you know developmental you know symptoms if you like um and yeah, it's it's been very helpful to mm. kind of just understand what's going on. And every day, there's just so much more in her eyes. Mm. Like you can see, she's processing so much more information and contextualizing it, and forming a model of what reality is. It's just unbelievable to watch a, a little human grow so quickly. <laughs> And see her personality emerge layer by layer, day by day. It's like, 
the most phenomenal thing. And to know that our, 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 it's really dependent on our love and our care for this child to determine how stable her, her foundation is. Mm. And that, that sense of responsibility is overwhelming. Wow. I think the one thing I'd love to explore with you guys is like the process of creating a, a, a human being. <laughs> uh, we, we can tell you how we did that. Yeah, I was just about to say, you want to know how to make love. <laughs> That's all this podcast should be about. <laughs> I've never done it and I've heard it's great. <laughs> no, I, I think you guys, I mean, I love the, the way you, the home birth and the energy that you've put into it. And uh, I think people can learn a lot from taking a risk compared to what society today teaches us about going to a, a hospital and doing it. Talk us through the the journey of what it's like and how you came to decide how to birth this child. Why don't you start off by talking about like what your perception of childbirth was relative to what you grew yeah. up with and all that first and then how, how the journey evolved from that. Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of ways I want to enter into it. Jeremy, you said about taking a risk. Mm. Um, And I want to make it really clear that doing a home birth is no riskier than doing like a hospital birth. So it's not like a take a leap of faith and take a risk Mm. with this this child. This precious thing. This precious thing. Mm. We didn't do that. Mm. That was never the sense of what we were doing. Yeah. Yeah. I I know it's not how you meant it, but I want to really be specific on that Mm. because it was through like our exploration of the options of how to bring the child into the world that I had to weigh up the risks involved with both situations. Mm. And so it wasn't a risk that I took, but a very educated uh, decision that was made. Mm. Um, So I had always thought of birth in a hospital. I knew no different. I knew a couple of people that had home birth, but that was like the that was not the norm. Um, and also, just being you know having studied medicine, mm. I was in a very medical model and way of thinking. Even though my my work now explores a lot of um, Eastern therapies, the baseline of everything, like we spoke about, for me is rooted in medicine and the Western medicine model. So my mum birthed all five of her children in a hospital Mm. Um, and all my aunties. There was one cousin I knew of who had done a home birth um, and she was sort of considered a little bit more on the kooky side. Mm. That's that. Although I get along really, really well with her. Um, Which explains a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so we, you know, when, when I was pregnant, like we started, like everybody does here in the city, like you get, you have an OBGYN and you go and you get your scans. I mean, I think I, the first time I went was to the doctor was maybe 10 weeks because we didn't find out for a little while. And already I was like behind the eight ball. They were like, you should have come in at x amount of weeks anyway i was like oh whoops 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 i've really messed up and so then we were in this hospital system and we found a really nice OBGYN who we loved and i thought that was a fashion label when i first heard it by the way. <laughs> it does sound like one <laughs> dkny <or> OBGYN. <laughs> um and so 
Yeah, so we were going to these appointments, which are very few at the start. You don't do many and you get like different exams done. And what? Oh, I read a book. I read a game-changing book for me. It was the only book I read. It was called, not ever, but the only book I read with regards to pregnancy was um, Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. So she is the nation's leading midwife. Mm. And the book was awesome. The first half of the book is dedicated to women writing about their birth stories. And so you get the full spectrum of ones where nothing went to plan or it was super painful. Then you get ones where they had orgasms at the birth, ones that explained like working with the waves of the contractions and how it was just breathing into it. And Mm. I just got to see different stories of birth that I never knew. All I'd ever heard was it's the most painful experience you'll ever have. Um, you'll likely need the drugs. Yeah, mm. make sure you have the epidural set up. And, you know, be prepared for a C-section. Mm. Yeah, and so this was all I had heard about it. So reading this book was like, oh, there's other ways that people have experienced it. It's really cool. Second half of the book, you know, I was crying in a lot of the stories. It was just like, oh, wow, the experience these women were having and talking of it almost as if like they birthed themselves, like Mm -hmm. a woman was born the day they gave birth. So that felt really empowering. I'd never heard that aspect spoken about by anyone that had spoken to me about birth. Mm. Then the second half of the book breaks down each stage of labor, uh, each stage of yeah ba- labor. So there's um, early labor, active labor, and then when you have to d- deliver the placenta after. So broke down every bit, which I didn't know there were so many stages, and spoke about interventions that could happen at each stage. But by taking intervention, like by taking a certain drug that may be offered to you, what are its side effects? Like it was just pure education. Be informed because when you're in the birthing process, there's so much going on that you don't want to be finding out all of this at that point. Mm. So know before you go in um, and then make your decisions, you know, at that point. Mm. So the book spoke about the all of the side effects of the medications and, and the, the pros, the cons. Like, And it also spoke about the, uh, what do you call it, the if you take one, then you get another, like the slippery slope that will happen if you, the domino effect yeah, mm, of yeah. taking one drug. So knowing what it does to the body and uh, then how that can escalate cascade, cascade to mm. eventually you be having a C-section with it, which in the States, I can't remember the exact percentages, but it's really, really high. Even in Australia at the moment, super high. It's mm. like off the charts in terms of, you know, where it was even, you know, 20 years ago. Right. So anyhow, I read all of that and was just like, great, I'm so informed now. Like, I just felt educated. At our next doctor appointment, I was then asking smarter questions. Like, I just wanted to to be really confident about a few things. Firstly, I wanted to know that my doctor was going to be there delivering our child. But she was like, no, 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 I, I won't be there. And I was like, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? And she's like, it'll be whoever is on call when you go into labor. So that was my first like, oh, I'm not even going to know the person. Like, that doesn't feel right. But I was like, okay. And then I, then my next question was wanting to know how long I could labor in the hospital for before they would want to speed things along. Because I had read and knew that there was sort of a time limit with which you can, can have the hospital bed for. Mm. Um, 
And when I asked that question, they, they probed more like, well, what are you wanting a non-medicated birth? And I said, yeah, that's my preference. Whatever I need to have happen, I will have. Mm-hmm. But my preference is to have a non-medicated birth and to feel everything. And they were like, that's great. Labor at home as long as you can. And I was like, yeah, 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 planning on doing that. But once we get to the hospital, like what window of time do I have mm-hmm. before I, they're going to start to offer us things? Anyhow, I kind of probed with that same question and kept getting um, an indirect an, uh, an indirect answer, would you say? Well, no, yeah, it was an indirect. There was what she was trying to communicate to us in not so many words um, because I think in her position where she wasn't able to say what she was wanting to say to us, but she was saying labour at home as long as you can. And then the last time she actually said it, she was like, labor at home, as long as you can. So the, as long as you can, she kind of, what she was saying was, you don't want to have a baby in a hospital. Everything you're saying to me, mm. you don't want to have a baby in a hospital. Mm. Because I, I can assure you that if you come to the hospital, everything that you don't want to happen is likely to happen. Mm. Uh, but she couldn't say that mm. in her position. Mm. <laughs> um, and I, you know, the, I was like, well, there it is, folks. Mm. It just felt like, for me, there was a little bit of a hole. Like, it was like, oh, something's not being told to me. And I was really uh, innocently asking. Uh, And then, you know, she explicitly said, when you get to a hospital, it becomes a medical procedure. As soon as you walk through those doors, they're like, we no longer have control over your birth. Yeah. 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 And they were wanting to honour what I wanted, which was a non-medicated birth. So, they Mm. were just trying to tell me in a Mm. nice way, Mm. like, maybe... Maybe you don't want to do it in the hospital. Mm, That makes sense. The reason why I'm taking such time to explain this bit Mm. is because I want to speak to everybody who is in the same mindset as Mm. me and just doesn't know the other aspect. Mm. So I really want to talk. I wanted to give it, do it justice, Mm. the transition or why it happened. Mm. So that felt very awkward that day in the doctor's office. Something shifted. And I think I went one more time to ask the same question when Johnny kicked me to be like, like as in Carla. We know the answer. They're doing. She answered. She answered the question. Yeah, yeah like Johnny <laughs> was just like I, I was seeking an answer that they couldn't give me, and I was persistent. And Johnny just kicked me like I, I think we've been given great advice to labour at home as long as we can. Hmm. So as we walked out, I was so confused, and I was like, "But Johnny, if we do that." we're going to have a baby in the cab because by the time we get in the car, the hospital's pretty far away. And that's when Johnny was like, yeah, we're having her at home. And that's when I was like, I know. But it was very like, for me, ah, like I know, but oh, this doesn't, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel safe. That doesn't feel good. Mm. So being the personality type I am, it was like, I need to understand and research this to the max (laughs) the first thing I did was call my cousin who had had a home birth in New York 10 years ago and um, I called her and she is in my mind a very powerful woman someone I've always looked up to um, and so and very matter of fact doesn't doesn't gloss over anything so she gave me such facts and went through her process of before she decided to have a home birth she was like, I researched this, I researched that and spoke through every danger and, and how it's handled and, 
and then the risks weighed up the risks at home versus at hospital depending on the kind of birth that she experienced she wanted I asked her she and then she recommended her midwife she's like I think she lives in your neighborhood if she's still where she used to be she lives in your neighborhood go see her she'll answer every question and then you make your decision she's like this this birth is about you feeling comfortable so it needs to be in a place where you are most comfortable because mm. ultimately the whole experience comes down to you being able to let go so it's like okay I felt better after that call with her got on in contact with the midwife who happened to be available yeah but then the the bit in between was we found out oh, that the, the documentary yeah, yeah yeah so we found out that the midwife down the road was in a film um called the business of being born um that was produced by um do you remember ricky lake the oh, ricky lake yeah. show yeah, yeah yeah so ricky lake uh had a had a, her first child and was a terrible experience very traumatic and then um uh, the second time round, uh, she uh, did it naturally under the care of Kara, who is the midwife that Carl is talking about, and um, decided to make a documentary about the whole thing and just what Kara does and explore the the um, you know what's what's actually happening in the hospital system. Anyway, it's called the business of being born. I mm. think that pretty much sums it up. Um, it's a really great documentary and it was such an eye-opener for us uh, watching it, mm. to, particularly just to learn about the, you know, the American hospital system, particularly the, you know, in, the US, uh, in New York and how most hospitals view uh, midwifery and particularly home birthing. Mm. Um, and then to be able to go down the road, which is literally like three blocks down the road, <laughs> and hang out with her mm. and you know, share with her our, our, our thoughts and concerns anyway you mm. carry on from there my darling uh, so <laughs> as soon as we went in to see her it, she went through like there was no there was no fluff she went through everything that could go wrong she was like there are three main things that can go wrong in a home birth that are rare basically spoke to how many times that had happened in her whole career you know she's done over 2,000 births and they're rare but she spoke about how each one is handled and she had addressed each of them. Oh, we're going to have a crack with It's great this is happening because we always boast how calm and still and easy, you know, she is because she really is all the time, mm. pretty much just very, very still and capable mm. of self-soothing and whatever. Mm. It's yeah. great to actually <laughs> have this moment. Have this as well, yeah. yeah. So I decided then to transition to a home birth. And this was probably at around 20-something weeks of, being, of my pregnancy. So it was halfway. Mm. I walked out of that appointment just feeling really, like, assured. It was like, oh, okay. Like, I, I just had more of an awareness I was educated and mm. Johnny knew far more about home birth than I had it was more the norm in his group of friends in Australia mm. than it was with the people that I was hanging out with mm. but then I faced my greatest challenge which was the actual transition like in being really confident in my decision to do a home birth because one thing the midwife Cara had taught us was basically like you can say you want to do a home birth but if you're fearful of it and your gut, really, you really want to do it in a hospital, that's where we're going to end up. You will create that. Mm. So you need to be sure. 
And of course, that's really tough. It was like, I can't rely on anyone else to make that decision. It's got to come from me. And I had my apprehensions. Like, And then it was really the way I was spoken to in, hmm. uh, in society, once they knew my decision, that compacted what I was already, like that little um, doubt that I had inside yeah. me, the fear that I had was just attacked and and it made it made me have to go through so many layers to be sure and confident in the choice of a home birth Mm. because people have very kind of almost violent reactions to Mm. the idea of doing home births particularly in new york city Mm. it was astounding to us how when you we shared that we were having a home birth how people felt entitled to sh- to give you their opinion uninvited, and quite quite often quite aggressively, um, in, you know, in absolute disgust and opposition to to the decision that we'd made, uh, and it was so uneducated. Their opinions were so uneducated, so fearful, and it was so revealing at how everyone had become so conditioned and indoctrinated into a belief that the only way to safely give birth is in a hospital as a medical procedure. But which really forced me to to own my decision mm. because it, it, it was basically, they were talking to a little aspect that was still alive in me, which was scared. Mm. Um, and but it was just so obvious how uneducated what they were saying was to me mm. because every time they would say something i would share it with cara cuz she could she was she was like you're not you're not sure about this i need you to be sure mm. and i was being told things like you know it's life or death don't put your baby's life at risk and that's like do you honestly think that's what i want to do like I, why would i ever do that like i'm trying to do the safest thing for my child and for me and you know the cord wrapped around the neck what are you going to do about that if that happens when you're at home and you know i the midwife was like carla your child is not breathing from here if the cord is around the neck the child is still breathing from the umbilical cord that's connected to you they're not taking breath from here yet so that's just like it's 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 a, a mis, misconception. You know, the only the only time the only time that that's an issue is is when the baby's trying to come out and the cord is limiting how how far they can descend through your canal. But a talented talented doctor or midwife is going to unravel the cord mm. to lengthen it as the child's coming out. Right. So, you know, she spoke to everything that was being told to me as a danger and was just like, but that's not right. That's not true. And this was a woman who's been doing this for 20 plus years. So anyway, I, my greatest fear was that my baby wouldn't survive or something would happen to me. Like they were my two biggest fears. And that if I was doing it at home, was I, was I putting our lives at risk? Mm. Kara spoke about all of the medical things that could go wrong. Like if a cord, if the baby's umbilical cord comes out before the baby, that is a problem. That's the mm-hmm. worst case that could happen. You guys keep going. I'll, I'll settle it for a okay. minute. Okay. Really- That's Thanks, the Tony. worst case. And, you know, she spoke about how to deal with it, how she's done it before. Um, so anyway, she just kept building confidence in me. Yeah. 
of what could go wrong. And I, I started to see that everything that other people was were feeding me, mm. they just didn't know. They hadn't sat down with someone and, and been educated about this stuff. So it was that period of time, like between the 20 something weeks when I transitioned over to a home birth to when I actually did the home birth, mm. I was continually peeling back the layers and layers of hesitation that I had. That was really compounded, like we said, by the people saying things to me. Um, where did John? Oh, the, uh, Johnny started speaking. I wanted to talk about the education where I started to learn about each different phase of labor. And like I said, in that book, Ina, Ina May's book, it spoke about the different drugs that you can be given and what it can lead to. And so I ended up feeling safer doing it at home because knowing in the hospital after a certain period of time, if your labor slows down, which is very normal. So again, this came through our birthing education. Your prefrontal cortex shuts down when a woman is in labor, meaning that the thinking mind starts to shut down so that you can get into that primal state to birth. Mm. And I remember in our education, the, um, the doula saying, to Johnny, she was teaching Johnny, that her prefrontal cortex is shutting down. She does not want to think. You will think you're doing the right thing by saying, sweetheart, can I get you a drink? Do you want an apple? Can I get you something? She's like, do not ask her because you're probably going to be swatted and told to to bugger off. Mm. She just needs you to treat her like a child, cut up a piece of the banana and put it in her mouth. Don't ask her, just do it. Because anytime you pull me out of the th- into the thinking mind, it removes it removes from the the deeper process that's happening. So wow. my body's producing when you're birthing. I think I can't remember the exact figure, but it's something like four hundred times. I'm not sure of it exact, so don't quote me. Mm. Times the amount of hormones that it's normally producing. So even though you're going through heightened discomfort or pain, you're being delivered hormones far more effective than what your normal state is to combat that Mm. and so you don't want to be pulled out of that state Mm. and so when you go usually if you transfer so usually if you're at home you're laboring and then it's time and you decide it's time now to go to the hospital when you get there you have to fill out forms they ask you a bunch of questions they check how much you're dilated all of that pulls the woman out of that deep state mm, right so mm. it's bring it, it it awakens that prefrontal cortex where she has to think to answer your questions mm. there's bright lights there's people mm. and all of that is is a laboring woman doesn't want laboring women like dark um like, it's like a quiet. trance that you're yes in. you're entering into a deep trance mm. and so when you go to the hospital it can pull you out of that state which slows down those processes so labor appears to slow down when you get to the hospital this is very general as in it doesn't happen to everybody but majority of cases and so when it slows down and you're at the hospital and you're dilated a certain amount then they're like well it's slowing down let's we don't want it to back off let's keep these contractions going so they'll offer you pitocin which is a synthetic oxytocin so your body is making lots of oxytocin to allow for labor to happen what they offer you with pitocin is a synthetic form of that by giving you that when your body's in a not actually laboring uh, when it started to rest a little bit 
what it does is it makes the contractions far more forceful because you're you're inducing something that's not natural in the body like it, you've stopped the natural cause and now you're giving a synthetic one so the force of the contractions is much stronger mm. that then causes the the mother so much discomfort that ultimately she ends up saying yes give me that epidural because now the pain is so unbearable so this is that little cascade we we're oh, talking wow. about that Ina Garden uh, Ina so made intelligent fuck so you're given the the pitocin so it speeds up the contractions you get heightened contractions more pain then you have the epidural to to lessen that pain as a result of the epidural depend if you uh, a lot of women can't feel at all some are given like low dose so you can still feel what's going on but when you're given the epidural you're also like hooked up to an IV so it limits your amount of movement you can't move around as much. You can still get up off the bed and do things, but you can't move around a lot, mm. which we'd been taught in all of our education that labor, if you active during labor, and it makes sense to me, like as a, as a movement expert, the more you're moving, the more you're opening through the pelvis and the hips, you're allowing for that baby to descend. Mm. Each contraction is each contraction is the uterus contracting and pushing the baby down. Mm. And so the pelvis has to open to allow that to pass through. Mm. So movement is great. Mm. That's what we're doing with movement is opening. Mm. So when you're limited to your movement because you're hooked up to an IV, when you've taken the epidural so you can't feel the intensity of, of the contractions as much, it's kind of... It's blocking the natural process. As a result, most women can't push effectively. So they're being counted down, to, told when to push. And you're just, it's, it's like being told to poop, someone cueing you to poop. You know when to poop if you can feel your body. Mm -hmm. But if someone's telling you, it's, 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 it's foreign. So <laughs> it's, it's absurd. It's absurd. And what ends up happening is sometimes the baby can go into distress as well because of the intensity of the contractions that it wasn't ready for. And you can end up having a C-section. There's so much disharmony going on. That's what's screaming out to me. Yeah. Well, because you try, it's how many points there have you intervened in the body's natural process? Mm, mm. So knowing that that was the general um, play of events, and that's not, a lot of people can go to hospital and, and have no intervention. Have no intervention. So I just didn't want to fall into that category of maybe that happening. That mm. really scared me. Mm. Also, in the education, we'd been taught that for a first birth, Labor, average labor times is 24 to 48 hours. Mm. So we knew that. And, you know, I think in a hospital that that figure is forgotten or ignored. Um, and that's why everything's on a time and they're trying to get it done sooner. Mm. Whereas if you just let the body do what it's supposed to, you've got to prepare for it to take a period of time. You know, some labor's... Some labors start and actually stop for a day and then kick back in after another day. So there's just so many, no two births have I ever heard of being the same. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the hospital, like most Western medicine, tries to fit everything into a, into a, um, sorry, a bit too close. No, no, no. That's no, good. It's getting it's perfect. Um, yeah. Tries to fit everything into a formula. But just like I told you, when I'm working on people's bodies, no two bodies are the same. Mm. No two births are the same. So you can't treat them like that. So knowing all of that was like I'd rather be at home and and let my body do what it's supposed to do and 
if something goes wrong or if something's not looking right, my midwife's going to make the call very early and we will transfer to a hospital. Mm. Like, you know, mm. I was not against having that happen. Like whatever mm. was safety first, but I wanted to honor my body to go through its process without intervention as much as I possibly could. Mm. Um, and I feel like they're the bits that, that aren't, people aren't told about, like the, the average time of a labor, also that the average time for a woman um, on her first birth is to go is 41 weeks and three days or something. And in the hospital system, if you're by 41 weeks, if you haven't had your baby, then they're wanting to induce you ASAP, like it's the danger time. So what ended up happening with our birth was that I had a number of things that potentially looked wrong on paper. And I'm really glad that that happened because I can speak to it. It wasn't just like a, a cruisy, cruisy home birth where everything was fine. Safira was 15 days late. So that meant, you know, that's two weeks and one day. Hmm. Um, and we know, I, and I was not, uh, I knew that there was the body after there's a reason why a baby should come out by 42 weeks because your amniotic fluid starts to dry up like every it, it can be a little bit more unsafe for the baby in inside and so i know that there and and we had started natural interventions at 41 weeks and maybe three or four days and then we were also getting sonograms done just to make sure everything was okay mm. and they were they were not necessary they were something i chose because it was with the more time that passed the more anxious i got about her safety mm. um and it was also good for us to determine whether there was any meconium uh, which is basically the, the the first time that a baby does a poo and it's not um it's not great for there to be large amounts of meconium in the embryonic fluid because mm. the baby amniotic can fluid. Am, amniotic, amniotic fluid, fluid sorry em, embryonic fluid amniotic fluid um, because it can cause infection in the lungs and all kinds of it's things. It's harder for them to take their first breath mm -hmm. if there's in there. So we mm -hmm. were doing the, we were sort of covering our bases, covering our Western medicine base, which was let's go get the sonograms, make sure that everything's okay in there and still just honor what my body was doing. Um, but we started natural interventions with our midwife to help labor. What's a natural intervention? So she can... Uh, so basically, instead of Pitocin, which, which is the synthetic oxytocin I told you they give you in a hospital, the midwife can sweep my cervical membrane. So you can do that to try and start to get the body Stimulate happy. Stimulate or yeah. like, yeah, encourage it. And then um, castor oil. And I cannot explain to you why castor oil um, kicks it. There's something to do with once you get the um, bowels. Right. <laughs> castor oil once you, you get your pipes. digestive system going once you send your digestive system system into spasms it can help kick on labor gotcha uh yeah so it's like a, a like a hyper um laxative laxative it's a hyper laxative yeah. that kicks that that spasming effect in the bowels mm. which then sort of clutch starts the uh the contractions yeah but the 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 issue with clutch starting the contractions is that um, you know, if you if you don't have a heel to roll down, then you know you could start the engine, but 
it, it might not necessarily keep the engine going. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the case for us. We, we kicked the contractions in um, with the castor oil. But then after maybe, I don't know, 12 hours, was it? Or even less, they started to die down again, um, which was, you know, what generally happens when you, when you use castor oil is that it, it doesn't it doesn't kick in the full effect which you know also suggests that labor happens when it wants to happen yeah mm-hmm. so to that we took i took the castor oil at 3 a.m by 6 a.m i was having the feelings which you know i didn't know what contractions felt like so i was like what is this is this a contraction or is this just me needing to poop i don't know mm-hmm. and then um and then it was regular the rhythmic the rhythmicity of it was like oh okay no this is something mm. but by 10 or 11 a.m. they were lessening right. and so spoke to the midwife again and she was like okay look it started something let's double the dose um of castor oil so i think we took like instead of one ounce we took two ounces um and mm. by and took that at probably 1 p.m and by 3 p.m was when it was like game, game on, on. Mm-hmm. that was when it, it stayed so she was right in making that call to have an, to up the dose because it was she was like no you're definitely they're not just castor oil contractions they've actually kicked in your mm. pregnancy contractions but we need to keep it going mm. um, and this is all just by her having had so much experience in the field um, but you know in the hospital we would have been induced and I don't know what would have led what would have happened from from that, that. um and so so yeah so hang on did that explain well how we ended up transitioning from hospital to oh yes definitely birth? i mean yeah. like i was on board from the first sentence yeah. okay all right so that's how we um and 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 i also ended up shutting down communication with i, I started to find my power in that it was like this is a decision i've made mm. And respect it and don't give me, like, uninvited opinions. Mm. Um, You know, respect that I've gone through a process, that I've been educated in making Mm. this decision. So all of that, I'm kind of glad it happened because it forced me to already start to find my deepest power, to find my voice Mm. and connect and connect with what I knew felt right and true. And then also letting go. So the whole pregnancy was especially in that last, the, when I was overdue, past your due date, um, was a process of letting go, like of letting go of having to control this. Like I have no control over when this baby's coming. Like I have no control. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard for me who I'm a Virgo and I like to control a lot of things and everything's organized. And, um, and actually, interestingly, I had frozen my eggs two years earlier mm. Um, which was my way of um, controlling being able to have a child. I was like, okay, I don't have my right partner yet and I'm sure I'm going to have many more men before I find the right one. So I was like, I'm okay with that. The only- she has men. <laughs> and I thought the only way that I can, the only thing that's bothering me about not having my partner right now is that I feel like I want to have children and I'm getting older and so I was like, okay, if I freeze my eggs, then I've, I have the ability to just keep exploring the world of men till the right one comes along. Mm. And I still have those eggs of when I was 34 or whatever it was. 
So I had frozen my eggs and that was my way of controlling. Um, as the world would have it, Johnny was entered in straight after I did that. Hmm. And, um, and, and ha- my eggs are still all on ice. So Safira was all natural. Um, but this then was a deeper process of, okay, you have to let go of having this baby when you think it's going to happen or, or, you know, and then it was also like the birth, anything could happen. I have to completely let go because if we do end up transferring to a hospital, I have to be okay with that. Like whatever happens is going to happen. And I think that two weeks was again, peeling back the layers of my resistance and control and making me just have to surrender and accept. But it also pushed me to a point of like total mental fatigue, like going bananas Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and questioning my body's ability to have a baby. Like, mm-hmm. why isn't anything happening? It's past the due date. Why is nothing happening? Can my body not do this? Which is something I battled with the whole pregnancy. Like, how can I actually have a baby? Can my body do this? I don't know that I can do it. And as I would think these thoughts, I would look up and see the, like, loads of people walking the streets of Manhattan and be like, every one of these people was birthed. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a mother. Surely I can do it. I can do this. Um, But so, yeah, when I was in that two weeks overdue, I was like, maybe my body doesn't, can't do this. I don't know. And so then it was, it was like, well, I could have a C-section. I could call an elective C-section. And that was my clinging on to control, Mm. right? I can control when this happens if I do that. Mm. And then I was like, no, that's not how I want it to go. Mm. Because I knew that having a C-section on your first child would mean that if I had subsequent children it would be very unlikely that I'd be able to have an, a vaginal delivery mm. because after a C-section, they're less likely to do that. So when it was time, when the labor actually started, you know, it was like I was embracing it, like game on, bring it on. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to move away from it. I wanted to move into it mm. because it was like it's finally happening. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think that helped in my ability to let go. Mm. So I, I feel for women where it comes early and they're unprepared, like, mm. you know, if it comes four weeks early and they're just like, they, they weren't quite ready. Mm. I can understand, like, I understand what happened in my processes mentally and physically in that period of letting go. So I, I feel for people who have had it early and it, they feel blah, jolted mm. by the experience because they didn't have that time to... And maybe some women loved it because they didn't want to be pregnant for much more, longer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, when it did happen, you were ready and she was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the experience that sounded phenomenal is how you guys together went through it in this, in this beautiful home setting and managed it so powerfully. Like you said to me before, you didn't even f- notice it as pain when you're in the, in the process. Yeah. Um, so discomfort Mm. yes Mm. like through the hip area like i felt discomfort Mm. but not pain like i wouldn't use the word pain to describe it um and you know she didn't display signs of being in pain like grimacing or screaming or yelling it was kind of like moaning like oh got a bit of a sore lower back (laughs) kind of like that but not like, ah, you know, like you see in Hollywood mm. films. Mm. And, 
you know, we were both kind of waiting for all of that to kick in. (laughs) Yeah, I was definitely, so we had a tub, like, you know, the, the, the bath that you set up that, and I knew that that was my pain reliever. So I only wanted to use that when it was really painful. And we, I never, so we went through the whole birth and I never got in the bath. Mm. Um, I never, I never got to that point. That said, we, we labored for, so we had, it was 34 hours. So from when it, when it started around that 3 PM, we together were at home, just moving through the contractions, Johnny timing everything and being in contact with the midwife and the doula. Um, and it was just like day moved into night um, and it's just repetition. It was just continual. And I now upon reflection, I think about it like, you know, the lessons in life that you need to get and it keeps coming to you in many different ways. Like, and you're like, oh, there's that same thing again. Mm. And I didn't learn it the first time. Let me try again. So I feel like labor, it's the repetition of the same, it's the same feeling over and over mm. and over again, mm-hmm. so which is like, to me, it's like all the lessons in life that you need that are just repetitively given to you until you finally. Wow. So it's your body's intelligent way of going, preparing let you go, f- let go, to let go, let go, let go. Let go, let go. And, you know, these contractions are coming. So for me, they were sort of every seven to eight minutes. And, you know, I would, as Johnny Johnny would describe that I, and so we have very different versions of the story, not versions, the same thing went down, but my experience as opposed to his objective experience watching um, are very different. It was so great for me to share the, to hear the midwife, the doula and Johnny all debrief on the birth (laughs) because it was like, Oh, I did that. I yeah. was doing that. Like it was just like, wow. oh, cuz I was in the zone. Like wow. so deep in a zone. So we were laboring together, oh, well, together. I was laboring, Johnny timing everything and and Johnny poor guy couldn't go to sleep because he was on top of everything. So I Nor would could do you. <laughs> Well, I was sleeping like, between the contractions. Oh, right. Wow. So I would have a contraction and apparently as soon as the last one was finished, Johnny was like I just went <laughs> Like snored loud and then after, you know, I would get straight back up and go again. And it was like that all through the night. Um, And so, but Johnny didn't have, Johnny didn't have time to go to sleep because every time he'd start to nod, then it would be another contraction, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably about, it was a blurry 24 hours of, of, you know, just starting to fall asleep. And then she'd be up and I'd be like, oh, I'm here, babe, I'm here. What do you want? <laughs> That's wild. It was pretty amazing. But it was amazing how quickly she could go out <laughs> after a contraction. Just like full-blown contraction for 60 seconds and then – or 45, 45 seconds and then, boom, head down. And there were seven minutes – the tractions were seven minute at seven-minute intervals. Yeah. Um, and so we thought, you know, we were in like super pre-labor. So there's early labor, early labor. and there's active labor. Yeah, sorry. You have to cut out all these things. Mm. Well, I say really pretty wrong terms. <laughs> but <laughs> early labor. would be horrifying. <laughs> early labor is when like that's the, the contractions are, are quite a bit apart and you're able to hold conversations. You know, you're still moving about. 
Um, and as you get in active labor, they get much closer together. And more intense. More mm. intense. Mm. The woman's, the, the sound gets more guttural. Like you get, like it's just breaking down the layers. You get deeper and deeper. So as our birth educators described it, they're like, we know which stage of labor you're in just by observing you. Mm. They're like the early stages, they're more like, uh, <gasps> Ooh, ooh. Mm. And then the deeper you get into it, it's like, oh, wow. So you start, yeah. It's like, it's like existence as well. Like the, gong, the middle of the gong is like a deeper vibration. Yeah. Out of the gong is like, oh, yeah. yeah. You're going deeper and deeper, deeper into, and the deeper into the Deeper and deeper into the Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, now, that said, we didn't exactly follow the exact pattern of that. Mm. So, so we went through these seven to eight minutes apart. I was in the shower at a period of time where it just had the, the water on the back, which felt really nice. And, and it was actually in there that again, I, there was that, it was the last bit that was eating at me. I was like, Johnny, I need to share with you this thought that's continually coming in my mind. And he said, uh-huh. And I said, elective C-section. And so this is already where we were probably 20 hours into labor. And he didn't make any judgment. He just said, okay. He said, whatever you want at this point is is your choice. And I was like, I just, she'll be safe. We get her out. And I'm like, and then, and I'll, you know, I said, I don't know how long I can keep doing this. Like, like it's fine, but it's just monotonous and repetitive. And like, like how many, how much longer are we going to go for? And at that point, you know, the doula wasn't here. The midwife wasn't here. So I knew that I wasn't in any stage that was relevant enough for them to be here. Mm. And I was just being, I was like, defeated by it so it's 20 hours of early labor just early labor well we thought it was early labor Mm -hmm. but and just so you know from my perspective when she said um elective c-section in the shower i was just like Mm -hmm. like it was so unconvincing she was just kind of vomiting out the last bit of her fear and just going through this because she was accessing you know, every few hours that passed, she was accessing deeper and deeper mm. levels of surrender, like watching her, the noises she was making, the way she moved. It, it was so evident that she was moving ever deeper into the labor mm. process. Mm. And um, when she shared that with me, it, it just felt like, a, you know, like I just want to check in here. Mm, mm, um, mm, totally. It wasn't like an alarmed, I think we should get a C-section or anything like that. And that's why I didn't, I was like, okay, you know, like whatever you want, let's, let's just keep going through the process. Um, maybe we wait until, you know, car and Angie come over and, mm. and that, I mean, I don't know what, where you put that after that, but that was the end of it. Like you didn't, <laughs> you didn't announce it again at all. Or share any any kind of you know need to end the process. Mm. Mm. Yeah. When you think about like Cara, for example, she's she's delivered two thousand babies. There is no way you're getting anybody with any level of that expertise oh. in a hospital. That's the safest that way to go. Yeah. You know, she has dealt with every crisis. Mm. You know, we threw her the toughest of toughest balls. Um, you know, we, we were like, okay, so how many babies have you lost? Mm. And mm-hmm. one, mm. and it was a high risk situation. And we should have shared that. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we said, what happens when this happens? How have you dealt with that? Mm. So she, she broke down like 
all the emergency scenarios and we really pressed her and we're like, well, how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. And she's like, this is how it's happened. I've done it, you know, umpteen times and this is, this is what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. And, you know, she, exp- she went into great detail about, you know, you know, women hemorrhaging and how she dealt with that and the umbilical cord coming out before the baby does, which is actually the most dangerous thing to happen. Um, all, all, all of these scenarios and mm. how much of a badass she is <laughs> at dealing with those situations. Mm, mm, mm. It, it's extraordinary. And Amazing. as Carla will continue the story, you know, she'll share, you know, we, we had a, a sort of a little intense moment um, and just watch Cara just boof, get into the zone and sort it out. It was amazing. It, it was extraordinary, you know, to be in the presence of a midwife, an experienced midwife, while they're in action, is to observe mastery and compassion and dedication. Like they're like unsung heroes, because they're on call twenty four seven. They uh, they come to labor well before technically they're needed, and they sit through the whole process go through the whole process of delivering the baby and then clean up afterwards like you know in a hospital as soon as a doctor's kind of deliver the baby see you later and the you know all the nurses and the juniors come in and clean up the mess they stay around they clean up they'll even cook a meal how do we even cook a meal you know without Phenomenal. you know what i mean and then come in show you how to breastfeed you know t- t- for the first Take the first gulp of milk, um, you know, clean you up. Incredible. And, you know, re- put you in bed with the baby and, you know, just be there in comfort, weigh the baby, like all of these things. Mm. This was in the middle of the night when this happened. And she's doing this day in, day out. It's unbelievable. What like, is it? It's a very rare breed of person that can do this with the same level of passion and enthusiasm and dedication and mm. diligence and mm. expertise that she showed, like we got her a game from the moment she stepped in. Anyway, let's continue Amazing. the story. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and that was the other thing too, of the level of care. Once I made the transfer f- during the, the pregnancy from the hospital system to the home, Cara would do our prenatal visits here at home. She would be touching my stomach. She would feel, she knew what Safira felt like. She knew the position she was in. Um, she would talk with me. So she knew at each point where I was at emotionally, like what fears were sort of coming up or just checking. Like she'd be here for an hour for our follow-up visits. And, you know, there was just a sense of being nurtured and cared for and, and like that she knew when something was different. She would know when something was different with my belly. Mm. Whereas when I was at the hospital, they weren't feeling. It was a different technician would do the exams. And, yeah, it was just more of a – it just felt – A complete connection or a complete understanding yeah, of what yeah. you were going Yeah, and it was through. important to me that the further along we got in the pregnancy, that if anything was wrong or if something was up with Sophia in my belly – because I don't know. I can't – I don't have X-ray vision. I can't see what's going on in there. But to know that Kara would feel her hands knew when something was off. She knew where she was. Mm. Um, and I remember she'd, Safira had been in this, the right position most of my pregnancy with her head down, like engaged. engaged. Mm. And it was at 38 weeks, I remember Kara feeling my belly and going, she's moved. Her feet, this is not right. Your baby hasn't been in this position the whole time. Mm. She was like, 
I need you to go get a sonogram just to confirm the position. Mm. And, you know, she detected and she had. She'd moved to the other side um, and Kara was concerned that she had flipped so that her feet were down instead of her head. But the sonogram confirmed that it wasn't. Her head was still down, but she'd flipped sides. Okay. So the fact that she could just feel that and know that, you know, yeah, this woman is is Amazing. the best of the best. She's incredible. And so... With regards to the birth, so yeah, we didn't have, so A, we went over, so this was one aspect that was scary, let's say, or, mm. or it didn't fit like the, the normal, um, although it is normal, mind you, <laughs> to go beyond your, um, your due date. Your due date. Mm. Uh, whatever your due date is, you should just keep it as like a... A loose market. Yeah, it's such a loose. loose market because it's like it's very your loose. body's every like you said before, every body's different, body's different and yeah. every process is different. Yeah, and so the other thing that we have to make mention of is that um, you know, the due date was two weeks off the full moon and a couple of people have said, Hmm, I wonder if she's gonna hold out either either come early or hold out for the following full moon. And when we didn't hit the due date, a couple of friends who are just very in tune said I bet you she she comes on the full moon, <laughs> and lo and behold, she did. Um, and so then, yeah, uh, the doula came over. Mm. This is after the picking up from when you're in the shower. Yeah, the, the doula had come over a little bit before we got in the shower just to see how things were. Put Johnny to bed for a bit of a rest because she said mm. we're going to need you later, mm-hmm. um, and <laughs> took me out for a walk. So the whole time of the labour, I was I was moving apart from in the evening when we were mm. um, <clears throat> sort of lying down. But I never wanted to get into a position that could stop the labour process. So mm. I was constantly sort of angled up. And so when the doula came over, Johnny went to bed and her and I went for a walk. We were walking around the the East Village, doing contractions on the street. Mm. Came back, walked up and down the stairs because all of that movement, it really helps open up through the pelvis. Mm. And then she was like, okay, I'm going to go. And I remember thinking, no, like she can't go. If she goes, that that means nothing's happening. Like I'm still in this early stage of labor. Like, oh my God how much longer can this go for? Like at that point, like I was still aware of time. And, um, and she was like, I'll be around the area. If you need me, just call. So she left. And that was, that was when we had the shower moment where I was like, Johnny, Hey, uh, yeah, that's right. I like to see such. Cause then I was just like, okay, she's not here. She doesn't even deem it like a reasonable hour to be here. Cause I'm nowhere near giving birth. And so that just felt disheartening. And like, you know, the midwife isn't even here. Mm. And so they both said they were going to come back around uh, at like three o'clock that afternoon. And so they came around. So that would have been, yeah, like 24 hours, a bit over 24 hours that we'd been laboring for. And I knew that. So remember, I spoke about the vaginal exam where they check to see how many centimeters dilated you are. Mm. So you need to be 10 centimeters dilated before you can start that before transition happens, which is when you transition into the pushing stage right. where you start to push the baby out. And so... And generally, you get an indication that you're dilating when the contractions are... Closer together. Closer together and for like two minutes apart okay. and about for about 60 seconds and quite intense. All right. And we were still very much in the, you know, 45-second contraction about six to seven minutes apart. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so... That's what you with the stop clock. Yeah. Yeah. Watching it, watching it, just... <laughs> um, and 
you know, I was meditating between contractions, like as much as I could. I would just try and I'd go through mantra and mm-hmm. then do the contraction again. Um, and when they they came over, I knew that our midwife doesn't tell you how many centimeters dilated you are. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things in her practice that she's just like, it does not do you any good to know. Okay. Because you could be three centimeters dilated after 20 hours of labor. And you then mentally do the calculations where you're like, mm-hmm. hang on, if... Because you would then mentally go, okay, well, if it took 20 hours to get to three centimeters, that means we've got Mm. to get to 10 centimeters. So times 20 by three equals 60 hours. Mm. Oh, my God. You can just see how mentally that would just make you go, uh. But it's no relevance because you can go from three centimeters to seven centimeters in 20 minutes. Like there's no formula to it. Mm. And you could be seven centimeters after three hours. And take 10 hours. Take 10 hours, you know. So she's just like, there's no use me giving it to you. So for her, it's knowledge just for her to know what's going on. But in the hospital, they'll tell you. Um, Anyhow, so she came over, spoke about, they were observing me and spoke about options we could do to help sort of even kick in the labor a little bit more, which in the hospital would be equivalent to an intervention, right? right? A drug. And just briefly on the contractions, I like what you said before. Could you, at at lunch, could you say that again about the uh, understanding what the purpose of your contractions were? So you knew what was going on and your relationship to them. So part of our birth education was we went through a whole, like the anatomy of what's going on inside, which was even fascinating for me, even though Mm. I work with the body. Um, And it was every time a contraction happens, it's the uterus contracting. So it's pushing the baby down. Mm. So each contraction is bringing you closer and closer to the actual birthing of your baby. (laughs) So if you resist it, if you pull away from it, I mean, you're pulling further and further away from what your ultimate goal is, which is to get the baby out. Mm. And so knowing that was really helpful and to visualize that it was like, okay, when that happens, if I just work with it Mm. to push down, I'm helping. Right. And so it was like, you almost embrace every contraction instead of step away from it. And that's what you would you attribute to a lot of pain in childbirth in general is people that resist yeah. the, the motions or... Yeah. 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 When you... Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Re- resistance, uh, from what I understand, is, you know, it's obviously a fear-based reaction, not surrendering into what's naturally happening. Mm. And when you're resisting... Um, and you're entertaining the fear, um, you're not producing the the endorphins that um, override the pain. Mm, Whereas right. if you're completely surrendered, if, you, if you're completely surrendered, um, you're enabling the, the, the those endorphins to, to flood the system and kind of be like bl- pain blockers, um, which, you know, explains why color didn't appear to be experiencing any pain because mm. she was completely surrendered you could just see wow you know there was no oh fuck not another contraction or you know there was no complaint nothing she was just in it almost like it was happening by itself through her and there it was like a, a stream of activity that would fluctuate and she'd just obey you know just completely obey what was happening in the body and as a result she just you know, it, it, it didn't look like it looked uncomfortable in moments, but like not in any kind of like, Oh, you poor thing. I never felt at any moment like, Oh, you poor thing. I wish I could take this away from you. 
she looked like there was it was some amazing thing happening. Wow. That was just like, wow. That that's what it was. You know, and that's why I wanted to stay awake. I didn't want to miss a minute of it. <laughs> because she was just like, <laughs> wow, look what's happening here. It was it was completely unexpected in and, terms of what Yeah. Yeah, and what you ever imagined would be possible. And but you attribute the number one tip to surrender, would you? Yeah, and, uh, I, and obviously the education. <laughs> I didn't know what surrender meant until then, like real surrender. Like this was beyond like this was let this was letting go and and it was a process throughout the labor as in it, I wasn't like this at the beginning of labor. Like Johnny said, you saw me going deeper and deeper and deeper mm-hmm. to the point where it culminated where I'll share that with you was mm. the absolute surrender where it really felt like I was just, I was a vessel, something much stronger was moving through me and I just had to let it, like, just Mm. allow it. Mm. But there was an all-knowing sense of it's okay, everything's okay, it's going to be fine as an underlying, like a piece. But just another interjection is, like, it's worth noting how much you had prepared your body for for the capability of what it did that day you know like in the lead up physically ed- mentally education wise like you yeah. you really prepared mm-hmm. your body to be able to surrender and let you know you're you're strong physically all that kind of thing too right yeah mm. so all of that helps mm. Mm-hmm. i think all of that helps your your ability to your 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 physical actually i don't know if being physically fit and strong um well, it certainly helps in your ability to push, mm. but in the ability to surrender, no. Okay. Would you agree with that? Um, I mean, I can't speak for you. I think that everything, like you said, everything that happened up until the point where you went into labor was preparation. You know, mm-hmm. even the people giving their opinions, mm-hmm. you know, them causing you to have to really define your position and, mm. your, and, and connect with your convictions. I think all of that helped. But at the end of the day, surrendering didn't appear to be any, there was, it's not an intellectual activity. You know, it's not something that you negotiate on the level of the mind. The reality is that, I mean, I didn't see a choice that Carla made except for when she was, you know, in the shower. Mm. I didn't see that she was making a choice to surrender. It just happened. Mm. Would you agree? Like it, it, yeah. it, she just it trans. Wasn't a she just, she just, she just did it, mm. and and I don't know whether that's just a a character thing. Mm. I never doubted her. She doubted herself, mm. and um, I'm, I'm like, you, you. <laughs> if anybody is going to be able to do this, it's you. <laughs> in terms, of, just because of the way that she generally operates and conducts mm. herself in mm. in life. It was clear to me that she was going to be extraordinary in this process, hmm. but she, and and quite naturally and and understandably, had some self doubt there, and uh, you know I think it was such an extraordinary process for her, you know, claiming the power of her womanhood to to face that doubt hmm. head on and actually demonstrate to herself the immense power that she has inside of her. It, it seems like a coming of age or a woman entering a right of passage, a right of passage yeah, or something. It, it? it certainly is. And, you know, with, with great respect to all the women that have chosen to have 
births in hospital um, without at, in any way diminishing the value and the power and the, 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 the meaning of that experience. It should be said, though, that um, you know, creating an opportunity to have this experience on your own terms in a non-medical environment uh, I, I, the, the transformation that I have seen Carla go through as a result of this experience is like nothing else. And, you know, it would be such a tragedy to think that she was robbed of, would have been robbed of that experience. Mm. And it, it's so empowering and so, so sacred and so special. For, and for me as well, I mean, it completely transformed me witnessing it. And, you know, I... I think that, you know, this conversation needs to be had more. Women need to be encouraged to entertain the idea of of having births at home on their own terms. Um, and, you know, reinstating this whole process of um, childbirth and bringing human beings into this world as a very natural um, and sacred experience mm. that shouldn't just be like, feared and like okay let's just like get it done mm-hmm. sort of thing because it, it, it contains it, it contains the most precious steps of becoming greater human beings yeah um in that also as i was saying like i had to peel through layers throughout the pregnancy a lot of it was like deep rooted stuff where i would have like a lot of emotions that i have to work through and just like tears and now in hindsight, I'm like, okay, this whole area, that root part of me had to be cleared to allow the passage mm. is how I could relate to the, the flow of mm. things that I, that I had to deal with that came mm. up just like about uh, just lots of things that like was felt like those little, that were stuck in mm. me, impressions that I needed to clear to allow for this. To make this part of your body work perfectly or to, uh-huh. seamlessly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that all happened. So that's why when I talk about birth, I, I, they're just, it's inextricably linked to the pregnancy, like the whole pregnancy and birth, Mm. because throughout that 42 weeks of pregnancy, it just kept stripping me and stripping me of anything that I was holding that wasn't serving me. Mm. Like it was like stripping off a suit to become, to be, to step into my new woman's shoes. Mm. And that happened over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so back to the birth, actual birth story, because this is where it gets interesting because there are a lot of things that went wrong per se, mm. but were fine. Mm-hmm. So Kara um, did the exam and um, I saw her jaw drop, which I was like, oh no, what's wrong? Something's wrong. And I, I, like I said to you, I know she doesn't share how much you're dilated. And she was like, I normally don't do this, but I'm, I'm going to share it with you. She's like, you're seven centimeters and I've just pushed you more. I've just pushed you to nine. To nine. Mm. What do you mean? I've just pushed you to nine. She can, she can open. Oh, right. she's examining. Yeah. 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 And I just started crying because it was like, thank God something's been happening all this time. Like there's been progress. I was Mm, actually, mm. you know, um, and so that was just like. She didn't even think she started dilating, maybe one or two centimeters. I was ready for them to say, because I could see by their expressions. And this is what I mean by no births look the same. So the fact that I was, they had assumed that I was still in early labor because of the way I was, you know, the timing of the contractions and the way I was dealing with them. And it wasn't a real indication of where I was at. 
so you know that can also be be seen as a um uh like a, a negative in in that they hadn't you know they hadn't examined me earlier mm. to see mm. but in in the end it doesn't matter anyway mm. because like we said i could have stayed on that seven centimeters for a really long time yeah. Yeah. um so anyway she then just went into overdrive of like Kara was like, all right, we're having a baby. We're having a baby soon. So she was like, take her out for another walk. I'm going to do boom, 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 boom. Anyway, and then it was just like everything clicked into another gear. Um, and so we went out for a walk, Johnny, the doula, and I, again, just throughout the East Village. And I'd now hit a zone that was very blurry. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I could people on the street, but I can't remember them looking at me during a contraction. I can't – I just remember walking, having a throw up, there being water, <laughs> somebody whenever a contraction came that I could hang on to so I could just move through it. So this blurry stage, this is very interesting to me. Like what, what, I mean, obviously your brain is getting flooded with all these hormones, but what's, what's it akin to, if anything? Like it's like a, you know, when you're going to sleep, mm. you lie down and you're going to sleep and there's that phase before you hit sleep. Yeah. Where you're, you're here, but yeah. you're. It's all a bit. Voices get muted, and uh, everything's all, yeah, like that. Yeah. Like time and people and things just started to, yeah, disappear a little. This was still just not pain, but just discomfort. Just or, discomfort. Yeah. Just like feel. Just <clears throat> feeling a rumbling and a sensation around my pelvic area. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just needing to move through it, to wiggle mm-hmm. through it so mm-hmm. that, that it would feel better. Like, you know, when you're in a yoga class and you're in a stretch for your hips yep. and you've got to hold it and they keep you there. And you know how it starts to like, you're like, oh, this is getting really uncomfortable. <laughs> I wish we'd, they'd pull us out of this one now. Like yeah. my hips really hurting, but I know it's a good pain. It's a good pain. Yeah, right. Is for me that was my experience. It was like a discomfort in there that I just right. uh, yeah. I know it's good, but it's just a bit uncomfortable. So the motion eases it, and yeah. your, that's your body's way of saying move a bit to keep this mo- coming out. Yeah, kind of like thing. I was basically obeying what my body wanted to do each yeah, time. Yeah. So again, we came back, we walked up the stairs. Um, so I was moving very, very active at this point in the labor. And then I started to move into squats on every contraction. That felt good Did it, yeah. to go into a squat just yeah. felt like, okay, open the hips, open everything. Yeah. It just felt like what my body wanted to do. And then magically the doula has a pulley system in her, in her little trough of goodies. So <laughs> before I know it, there's a pulley system lined up on the wall so I can hang off that for every contraction. Right. And then we, and again, now I've lost sense of time. I don't know how long I, this stage went for. And how many hours in are we now? 28. By the time, where, where, when the real action started to kick in, it was like 28 hours. Um, and it was like a really enjoyable, um, magical sort of six hours from, from when that, you know, the, that active labor was in like full swing. Um, but the contractions didn't speed up oddly, Hmm. um, up until kind of towards the end, they still were, I mean, they might've gone big five, five, four or five minutes. They never really got to three minutes uh, other than when we first took the castor oil, like it went, rev, rev the engine for maybe, you know, half an hour where the, the contractions would be, you Mm, know, mm. two to three minutes in between. Mm. 
but the rest of the time was four to five minutes. So there was there was a lot of downtime, but in that downtime for that last six hours, we were walking her backwards and forwards through the living room, and it was and we just got into this zone, um, you know, for like five hours, if you can imagine, and and we're already you know twenty thirty hours. 20, 28, 29, 30 hours into it. So everything was just so surreal. It was a balmy um, summer night in the city. It was full moon. The, there was not a cloud in the sky. It was so mystical. There was a mystical energy in the room. Hmm. We had candles lit everywhere. Hmm. Beautiful, soft music. And it, it was so magical and so special. And there was no sense of urgency, no sense of panic. It was like we were excited that, you know despite the fact that there was only seven minutes in between contractions, she was fully dilated and she was now in, you know, you know, at full active labor and the baby was, you know, coming very soon. It's like this homemade temple where you're just witnessing nature, the phenomenon of nature. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I'll, I'll never, ever forget the feeling and the, the atmosphere of this place and, and everything that night it was really really extraordinary wow extraordinary wow and so i just at that point i just i all of that i remember feeling it it all allowed me to be in the zone so it had to be just this yummy deliciousness yeah because i was just all i can when i just trying to describe it my eyes are shut and my body's swaying that's where I feel like I was at, just in a dance, in a dance and in a trance, basically. Wow. Mm. Um, and this so, is when you're walking, yeah, and yeah, squatting. walking and and swinging on the, you know, doing the the squats. squats. Um, there, there were a number of different things that we did, but we're all pretty involved at that stage. We, it was it was like this a team. team. Effort. It was really a team thing. There was four of us doing this thing. Yeah. Uh, but Carla leading the entire time. We were just following this her. amazing. Yeah, it really was. And then, you know, it became very clear because, you know, we, we, when she started getting the urge to push, you, you know it. <laughs> well, so let's, we just skipped a bit that's important in the story is that um, we had the midwife, Kara broke my waters. So, you know, uh, you, you, there's yeah. that, you, when you watch a Hollywood movie, someone's water breaks and then they go to the hospital and you have mm. this baby. Mm. My waters hadn't broken yet. And I'd been, I don't know, doing these squat contractions for a long period of time, which... And she's fully dilated. Not fully dilated mm. yet. Mm. Like nearly, 10 centimetres fully dilated. So yeah, we're nearly yeah. there. No, not Are yet. You sure? Yep. Mm. Yep. She broke my waters right. before then. Mm. So. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. So not mm. fully dilated, nearly there, mm. but I'm doing the contractions, which should put enough pressure to break that water, the mucus, but it wasn't. So Kara asked if I wanted her to break them. And I said, yeah, like at this point, let's just do it. Let's keep going. And so I lay down and she went to break it. Usually she can just do it with her finger. But my collagen was so tough that she actually couldn't break it with her fingers. So she had to use one of her little tools to come up in and and had to break it that way. Mm. Now, what I didn't know at the time, I wasn't shared the information, but she told Johnny that there was some meconium in that fluid. 
And so, as we spoke about before, that's not great because mm. if your baby has, it might make it harder for the baby to take their first breath. Mm. It was very mild. Mm. You know, we did an assessment on the situation. She said it's very mild, slight, you know, poses no real risk. Um, but just wanted to let you know, you know, that, that, that we're keeping an eye on this whole thing from here on in. Because with meconium, it just means that more can come and it's just very, it, it can send the baby into distress. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't shared that information. So now the waters are broken and we're moving through to. Yeah. Um, and so I just remember going down onto a squat and something else happening where it was just like a. Ooh! <laughs> and I was like, uh, and Kara, the midwife, was just like, hang on, that sounded like you were pushing. You had an urge to push. I don't think you should yet because you have to be fully, fully dilated. And she uh, yeah. could sense that the lip of my cervix was not flipped back. Mm-hmm. I mean, she could just hear all of this. And so the next time I went down into a squat, um, I think she came down with me and she pulled the lip of my cervix back. And she was like, now you're clear to push. And so then it was like, I didn't know how to push. It's such a foreign thing to push. And it's so different to what you've been doing for the whole rest of the labor. Mm. So the rest of the labor, every time I had a contraction, I would breathe out through it. I'd right. breathe with it. I'd exhale and I'd move. Yeah. And on a push, when I did that, they're like, no, no, no. You need to hold your breath. So don't breathe out. Before you're about to squat down, I want you to take a breath like you're diving into a pool and hold that breath and push. It's like, okay. Like any instruction that was given to me was simple, mm. not wordy, not lengthy. So mm. this is, again, playing into my prefrontal cortex is shut down. Mm-hmm. You've got to talk to me like, mm. like you're talking to a baby. A baby, <laughs> a like, a, you know, very simple. So mm. the instructions were very simple. Which is clearly, again, why they didn't share that information with you about the... Um, Meconium. Yeah, because yeah, it would have yeah. brought her out of the good. zone. Yeah. Yeah. She was in the zone by this stage. So, again, so I took the breath and then went down and just pushed with all my might. It was like squeezing my insides and trying to push them out mm. of my vagina because that's mm. where I thought the baby comes out of. Mm. Well, the baby does, but mm. that's where I thought I had to push from. <laughs> you thought well. And so, and, and I would hear, it was, like, it was like performing with your eyes shut. So think about if you're performing and the only thing that guides you is an audience. So mm. they're cheering or the audience saying, stop or do this, do that. That was all I could hear. That's what it felt like. Which so is your team. Yeah. yeah. So I went down and I remember doing my push and them all going, yes, yes. And then I found my bum, as in push from the butt. <laughs> and then I got a bigger yelp. So then I found how to push from the rear as well, mm. which garnered like more yes, 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 yes from my team, which right. I was like, oh, okay, okay, that is and I felt like that actually was doing something like pushing her further Mm. so it was like all right I got it and so in between each each one of these contractions the midwife is taking the baby's heart rate so to make sure that the baby's not in distress Um, and that's what's happening also at a hospital when you're hooked up like you can see what's going on they're fetal monitoring Mm. Um, and I wasn't pushing for very long I'd probably only done two pushes so we'd probably been 10 minutes in and the Safira's heart rate went into distress and so the midwife was like okay I need you to hold on the next one don't forcefully contract don't don't go into a squat just hold it and Safira's heart rate normalized 
So she's like, okay, great, we're good to go. So don't forget, she's got in her mind, there's meconium plus distress. Like she's, she's like seeing the big picture. I, I can only hear the heart rate and I'm like, oh, but I'm just being given instructions. I'm just adhering to instructions at this point. Mm. And so then I remember going down into a contraction and her head, she was crowning which is when you can just see the, the top of the head. And I remember Johnny saying, oh, my God, I can see her head, babe. I can see her head. And at that point, what it felt like for me was that her whole head was coming out of my butt. So I thought Johnny could see her, her eyes, her nose, her mouth. I thought her whole head was out because that's what it felt like. But really, it was just the mm. tip of her head. Mm. And so we're still doing these walking, walking from one side of the apartment to the other in between the contractions. And then the heart rate again went into distress. And this time my midwife spoke very sternly. She just said, Carla, I need you to push this baby out in 10 minutes or else we're going to Bellevue Hospital. And I remember not feeling fear, not being scared. I remember just going the process that happened in my head was Mm-mm, we're not going down and getting into the car and driving. No. <laughs> well, I'm getting such goosebumps. I was like, not happening. Can't happen. But then I just remember going, okay, I have to do this. Nobody else can do this. Like, it's just me. And I was like, she's got to help me. And I remember talking to her. I just said, you have to come out now. You have to come out. Work with me. And that all happened, you know, it's a very split second moment. And the next contraction, so we'd been pushing, it'd only been 20 minutes. So we'd probably only done this pushing thing like three or four times. Just to put it into context, that can go on for six hours in a normal birth. So on the next one, I went down into the squat for the contraction and I squeeze every abdominal muscle I know. Like I'm just like was drawing it all in and then pushing out from that rear. Like I told you, I just found. Mm. And it was just like, I just kept pushing like just more. And it was like the one, the one push motion. Yep. Just kept- the one push motion. I stayed on it. Like I was just like when I thought it was done and I should come up, I stayed down and found more. Like it was just like this reserve tank that I didn't know existed. Like, you know, when you're working out and they like go into that tank, you've got a little bit more, you've got a little bit more. You have so much more than you know. And at this point is when I had to find it. And I stayed there and just kept going still whilst holding the breath. And and as Johnny would describe it, because I... Like I said, I'm telling you from my experience, but from their experience, there was no sound. I wasn't making any sound. I was just down there just pushing, like no sound, not anything. And I remember the midwife saying, you have to come up a little bit. You're so close to the floor so that if she come out, you know. And I remember coming up a little bit and then feeling her head just come out entirely. And it was like a pop. And that hurt a little. I remember mm-hmm. going that was uncomfortable because it just Mm. feels like it's like some people describe it as a ring of fire. It just feels like a, for me, it was like this momentary burn. Mm. And then I was like, that had to be her head. And then I was like, well, if that was her head, then the rest of her body's going to be easier. So I remember staying down. I still didn't come up and I just found more 
Okay. Uh, uh, for a second push, uh, you know, after that first one. Yeah. But didn't come up, didn't just stay down there, little breath in, held it, and then again just went, this is it. And as Johnny would describe it, she just literally spat out, like in a sea of Technicolor juices. Whoa. For me, it felt like bloop, bloop, bloop like a bloop coming out of my vagina. Like I could feel the arms. I could feel the legs, Whoa. like every bit just going. Whoa. And Johnny said she just slid, slid out. Like now the other thing that I didn't tell you in that bit was the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck twice. So the, the midwife is describing all of this while I'm down there in the push. She's like umbilical cord around the neck twice. I did. I didn't hear any of this at that moment. I was somewhere else. Um, and as as Johnny saw it, as I pushed the first one, then before the second one, she just unwound it as I pushed Safira out. So the midwife was unwinding the cord to allow more room for the push. So meconium in the fluid, baby's heart rate goes into distress, cord wrapped around the neck twice, all things that I had been told I'm putting my baby's life at risk doing at home. Everything happened and I was in the best care I could possibly be in. Yeah, and to know Phenomenal. from a from a, an external perspective, there was no sense of um, alarmism. Like, like Cara, she doesn't have a, a poker face. She she went, right, I mean, you told the whole, the baby needs to come out in the next 10 minutes part. Mm. Yeah, but that's when she just clicked into a whole other gear of awesomeness. And control and just like, and when Safira's head came out, how she got her fingers in and unwrapped that cord before the next push down, it was so like, it was like a magician. It was like, what am I watching here? And she's commentating, telling everybody, now this is what's happening, da 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 da, da everything's fine, blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden, Safira just goes, shoo, and comes out with the most peaceful look on her face like she's just slid out and she's still asleep just like this and then Kara goes through this extraordinary sort of procedure to gently bring her into taking her first breath and then you know Sophia takes her first breath and it was just like on that one (laughs) imagine how that's looking so I've just pushed her out I've dropped back onto the doula's knees and I can I can see this baby not breathe. I, I can see this baby. There's no sound. There's no cry. There's no nothing. It's just still, um, yeah. stillness. And this, what I was speaking to you about, this, this sense of knowingness was like, I know everything's okay and everything that has happened has happened the way it should. But otherwise, if I'd been looking at that through the lens that I exist in in every day, it would be fear. Oh, my God, she's not breathing. She's dead. What happened? Because that's what it looked like. Mm. But as Johnny said, Kara went through her process of clearing the nostrils, clearing the mouth, rubbing her chest, opening her the whole time. Um, commentating. Commentating, yeah. Mm. Talking us through everything. Mm. Got a great heartbeat. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Wonderful. Your baby's fine. She's fine. We're just going to slowly wake her up and bring her. And, and so we just looked on in amazement, not, not in any kind of worry or fear. 
and you know within you know 60 seconds of her going through the the processes and then her leaning over and just giving her a breath like she breathed into her mouth oh, really? once Sophia just went bah and then wham and it was game on it, it was just that first breath what was yeah. that what she did gave that look it to like? her it was just like a, like a bah her little eyes darted open and she looked around for a second and then she went <laughs> it was oh, what a moment it was just the most extraordinary thing uh, I want to wow. read to you. So I wrote a few days after the birth. I wanted to write my birth story while it was Amazing. fresh in my mind. And I just grabbed it before. Mm. This is the end bit of it, but mm. it's a, I want to read it because it picks up it. to there. Um, so it says, she, so I'm speaking about Kara. She spoke to Safira the whole time. It's okay, honey. I've got you. And then Johnny holding her, gazing at her, so in love, wrapped in her little Shrianta bl- blanket. He asked if I wanted to hold. I said no. I needed a moment. I was in such peace, elated, exhausted, but not feeling a thing. Beyond feeling, beyond thought, I don't know where I was. I was in what I'd imagined to be my deepest state of being. Beyond time, feeling, thought. Emptiness yet the fullest I've ever been. The cord still attached to Safira. Safira was placed on my belly. I looked and smiled. No tears. Again, this deep place I was in was beyond emotion, it felt like. And then the cord stopped pulsing. It was time to push the placenta out. This push was easy. Felt like I exerted a quarter of the previous pushing efforts. (laughs) Placenta inspected, all clear. Johnny got to cut the cord and then she was free, independent of me, her own little person. She was alive with us and in this world. I lay there motionless, taking it breath by breath. My legs started to shake uncontrollably. I asked Kara what was happening as I couldn't stop the shakes. They put pressure on my legs and explained that it's a normal physiological response to all the hormones. Time. I don't know where it went. I don't know how everything got cleaned up, how I got up and made my way to the shower. Who had Safira? I don't know. I remember being in the bathroom with Kara and me going to take a pee. I shrieked, yelled, <laughs> ow, what is happening? The burn, the sting. It was intense. Unable to contract my Kegels to stop the flow of urine, it poured out and I yelped in discomfort, grabbing Kara's arm. She said it was normal and tried squirting water as I peed. <laughs> Johnny remarked that I made more noise and looked more in pain when I peed than I had in the entire labor. I rinsed in the shower and was put in bed, fed and then given Safira to feed. I don't remember. I just remember drifting off to sleep with her on my breast and then we were alone. Our new little family, Johnny, Safira and I. What a journey, what an experience, what a lesson. Nature knows. Surrender to it and all shall be provided right when and where you need it. Sleep. Our little family drifted off for our first sleep together. Hello, new life. Here we all come. And now at the end of my little story. Fuck me. Wow. (laughs) Oh, man. There was a bit she left out. Wow. I think I goosebumps beginning to end of that read. <laughs> um, which was uh, when I 
when I did bring her over to you and I laid her down, you there was a moment where you were very still and then it registered and we we cried for maybe two or three minutes together. I don't know whether you recall that, but there was we we, we just sobbed together holding her mm-hmm. and Safira was crying as well. The just the three of us kind of just ah, <laughs> it was just this so this beautiful. moment of Yeah. Wow. It was, uh, it was extraordinary. What a thing. It really, yeah. really extraordinary. I feel so moved and educated and inspired and awakened mm. and just privileged to hear mm. hear the whole journey in mm. such detail. Yeah. And particularly all the adversity you overcame and st- all those great challenges to be able to make you stand in your own mm. and make the, the conviction and push out in, what, 10 pushes or something? It's just... Yeah, it wasn't even that. It's it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was an extraordinary thing to watch the power that Carla accessed in the last stages of the birth. That was it was it was in her. It was from out of her. It was in the room. It was something happened. But the process of her surrendering enabled all of those conditions to take place, and it was mystical, deeply spiritual, and you know coveted like it's 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 the most sacred thing that a man and woman can experience bringing a child into the world it's the closest thing you get to really understanding the magic of the universe and creation and and it is one of the most spiritual experiences and you know if you have the the opportunity to a to have that experience you should afford yourself it you know there are some circumstances where certain people are in high risk category and they just can't and nor should they risk their child's life and for that reason modern medicine is so important and wonderful to always have it there as a backup because at the end of the day it's really about the baby and the baby being born right Mm. Um, however if you can have this experience it's like it's everything yeah, truly, truly amazing. And why I love that you wanted to do this podcast is because it's hard to share this story with other females who haven't had such a great experience because I feel you. I don't want to downplay their experience at all, but it's also you can see them going. So I went to my first mum's group last week and everyone mm. shared their birth story and a lot of women spoke and you could see for the first time they were like, I... Uh, I felt like I could have done it, but they made me take this and this and this and I wasn't able to. And I, there was this sense that they felt like they missed out on something. And so it's a hard thing to share with other women mm. if they haven't had a similar experience. Mm. Um, but it's also something I want to share with everybody so that they know that that experience is possible. Mm. And so it's a really nice way to be able to share it. So anyone who's listening can understand can understand yeah and, and, and there's so much more to it and it doesn't need to be feared yes yeah. but also understand the the detail of every step or i mean you could have gone into so much more detail no doubt mm-hmm. but just like that every step of the way it took a great deal of your courage mm-hmm. conviction um knowing desire to educate yourself like so if you do compare it like or if someone that went for a different process can have a judgment or a sense of it. Like, I think this is the perfect platform to explain the procedure that it wasn't just some willy nilly thing that you just dropped into. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a, Absolutely it's a very sophisticated on process. On the contrary, it was more engaged, more, more 
researched, we participated far more than we would have if we'd done it in a mm. hospital. Mm. So much gets taken away from you. And clearly so much more reward. Yeah. I mean, we did our first 24 to 26 hours labor by ourselves. Like, it was so special mm. that we did that ourselves. Mm. And it, you know... It takes a great deal from your guys' parts to enable this whole process to happen. You know, it's not... It's something... Yeah. It, it, if you had to say to Joe Blow and Sally Nally or whatever <laughs> a generic woman's name is on the street, if they wanted to go for a procedure like yours, what are the key things that they need to do? Surround themselves with um, people who are experts at this. You know, we couldn't have done it without our team. I mean, that's Absolutely. that. That's like first. Yeah, that's yeah. easily the first thing. A brilliant midwife and a brilliant doula. And we had both. And they were just so beautiful, loving, compassionate. And a brilliant backup plan. Mm. Like, yeah. you know. Emergency plan. Don't go into this, like... Uh, thinking, don't go into thinking you're above the hospital system. You're not above. That's what birth will teach you. To it will put your ego in check in every sense uh, that you're not above anything. And I think that's why you you did so well is because there was a humility and there wasn't an attachment to mm-hmm. doing this at home. Mm-hmm. Like we were fine doing it, whatever way it needed to happen. What was important to us is that we were starting the process as we wanted. Mm. Our starting point wasn't having to surrender our power. Mm. Our starting point was totally in our power. Mm. And uh, with a willingness to go anywhere we needed to go for the safety of Safira. And I think that that humility was the thing that kept Carla in that sweet spot of being able to just do the whole thing here. Mm. And on that, at that mum's group, one of the birth stories was one woman who was in a hospital who was basically like, I don't want any intervention. I don't want any doctors. I don't need them. This is all I I can do this all by myself. I don't even know why I'm here. That was her mentality. She needed a doctor for every aspect because she had every disaster that could happen. (laughs) So you get schooled. You get the birth you're supposed to get for the lessons you need. It's just, it's wildly impressive. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's wildly impressive. And for, obviously, I think people listening will understand there's, it takes a certain state of being in your two individual selves to be able to go through, let alone have the desire to even go through this kind of way of birthing a child. But if you just had to reflect on one another for a moment, what were the key things that you noticed in one another's characteristics, willingness that you think were the key pillars oh just Carla's innate strength like it's just an innate strength that she has that she surrendered into and accessed it was like I mean I I see that I see that in her all the time it was just so beautiful to watch it become expressive in this particular way (laughs) Hmm. um I actually it's funny you should say that because in my birth story there was a postscript Hmm. and I'll I'll just read you this bit. Mm. My bond with Johnny has been even greater strengthened. More love, more appreciation, more than I knew possible. A complete surrender from me into how much I need him in my life. Life would certainly feel more daunting without him. With him, everything feels possible. Everything is achievable. I am supported, loved, held, believed in and empowered. With him by my side, I feel strong. He is my Superman, 
my angel, my life support, my truest love. I am blessed that nature delivered me this incredible man and provided us with a supreme love to share for the rest of our lives. <laughs> so that sums up. Here you go. Well, <laughs> made me cry. <laughs> yeah, what he means to me. Fuck. Wow. <laughs> you guys, thank you so much, so, so, so dearly for sharing all of that. Yeah. Hopefully it'll uh, inspire others. Mm-hmm.